As turn your Bibles to John, Gospel of John, chapter 3, and uh, get this thing turned, there we go. And I'm sorry I couldn't be with you last week. Uh, you'll, you'll probably hear a little bit about this. There's kind of a buzz in this thing. Is this okay? We turn it down or something? Or is that all right? So, um, Mike, uh, a couple weeks ago, Mike was preaching and he said something that I, it was great. It, it got everybody's attention. And I know it raised a lot of eyebrows. He, he made the statement like this He says, None of us are getting out of here alive. Some of you remember him saying that? And, and it, was so, it was so great because I, I could see everybody get a little nervous. It's like looking around, you know. And, and I love that because, you know, as pastors, one of our jobs is to wake God's people up to the deeper and greater realities. And the plain fact of the matter is we aren't getting out of this thing alive. Every, death is a part of life. Now, I know in this day and age of church shootings, you know, Saying something like that is like saying hijack on an airplane. It's like, you know, everybody gets nervous. But you see, the reality is, you know, death is a reality. We don't like to think about it. We like to ignore it. We like to find ways to forget about it. But it's there. It's like Ben Franklin said, nothing is certain but death and taxes, right? And actually, taxes is more certain because they'll come after you after you die, (laughs) I don't know if you have any, but they do. They tax you after you're dead, so you, you got that. But death is, is there. Are we okay? This thing's, they're working on it? Okay, because it sounds kind of wonky. And, and so, you know, are you confident when you think about death, or are you a little nervous? Because, and that's what we need to look at today. And the verse that we're going to look at today is, it's a verse that uh, Mike touched upon last week, but we need to spend some time on it today. It's, it's a very famous verse. It's John 3.16. How many have heard of John 3.16? Okay, this is, this is the famous verse. This is the verse we see on billboards along the freeway. This is the verse that yeah, people tattoo on various parts of their body. This is a famous verse. And we need to look at this today. This is, you know, this is on banners and stadiums and what have you. And uh, most of you can probably quote it. In fact, let's read it together. Are you ready? So John 3.16, let's do it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Man, that's a powerful verse, and there's no wonder why it's famous. That, this single verse captures what we call the gospel, or the good news of Jesus Christ. Because of Christ, we don't have to be afraid of death. Death is no longer an issue. And the good news, as is expressed in this verse can be communicated in five statements, five realities, five truths, five spiritual facts. And the first one is, out of this verse, is we're perishing, but we don't have to. We don't have to perish. That's good news. Second, because God loves us. That's pretty big. We're going to talk about that. It's really big. And because God loves us, he gave his one and only son to die for us, to take away our sin. And uh, so that for, through him, we can have eternal life. And that's the main thing we're going to talk about today. And five, this is really good news, all we have to do is believe. All we have to do is believe. That's the good news in a nutshell. And my question today is, what makes it good? Why is it good news and not just news? Think about that, you know, because, you know, so what? And because I want the news of Jesus Christ to become good news for you today, and I want you to become excited about it. I want it to be the best news. So what makes it good? Well, let's go over these five facts again. Number one, I don't, I don't have to perish. 
Death does not have the final say in my life. I no longer have to live in the shadow of my final days and the fear of what's to come. I can affirm the great quote by Mark Twain, the rumors of my demise are greatly exaggerated. I'm going to live. God can't take me down. I'm not just a survivor in Christ. I'm a conqueror in Christ. I I am not going to perish. Second, God loves me. That's pretty huge. He loves you. He loves us. The creator of the entire universe, the one who holds everything in his hands and is in control of all things, loves you. It's pretty nice you know you have that God on your side. He loves us, and it's an unconditional love. And that love of God has the, you know, the power to purify every negative thought in my head, and I have a lot of them. I have a lot of them, and I just have to, you know, God loves me. Even when I'm a miserable up here, I can go, you know, it's kind of cool to know that he loves me, even though I'm a mess, right? Man, how many times have I relied on that? Third, God loves you and me so much he gave his one and only son, Jesus, to die for us. That's a whole lot of love. That gives us an idea of the extent of his love. God does not just kind of love me. He loves me so much that he gave his son to die for me on a cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, that erased my sin. It frees me from sin. It, it, it empowers me. It brings acceptance, reconciliation, justification, sanctification, glorification, whatever you want to call it. It brings us new life, transformation, because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's good news. And because of that, we receive this thing called eternal life. And this is more than just escaping death. Eternal life is not just eternal existence. If it was just eternal existence, that could become a kind of hell, right? This eternal life is something that, yeah, I want that. And again, we're going to come back and talk about that's the key thing today. And uh, the eternal life is this thing called heaven, and that's very good news. Fifth and finally, all we have to do to receive this eternal life is to believe and put our faith in Jesus. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to be good enough. I don't have to acquire it. I don't have to deserve it. I don't have to fulfill a code of right or wrong. There is nothing I do but come to Jesus and say, I trust in you. I receive this gift freely as a free gift. Man, that is really good news. I, ex- I, am, I am saved and I have this eternal life in Christ before I do a single thing to become a better person. There is really nothing we do in the Christian life on our own. It's all by God's grace even the initial accepting of this gift. And so that's all really good news. And so the question that we're really wrestling with today is how should our expectation of life after death affect our life before death? I mean, it stands to reason that if we have this expectation of this great life after, shouldn't it affect us in the here and now? And the problem is we get comfortable on this side of eternity. And we get a little complacent. And we forget how good it's going to be. And, 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 and so sometimes we just get complacent and apathetic. And uh, we have that peace. On the other hand, you know, we live this life and nothing on this side of eternity really fulfills or satisfies us. Nothing really quite quenches our thirst or hits the spot. Our brother Ken Warner wrote this great book called I Can't Believe I Missed the Point. Great title. And his whole, the whole thing is most people live out their lives and they miss the point because we think this is it. We think this life is what it's all about. And God is saying, no, I've saved you. I've delivered you. I've, I've called you for bigger things. This life is not just it. And his whole point is the reason we're not totally comfortable in this life is that we're not created for it. We're not created to live in this existence. There's more. And so don't get too attached. And we do. And we do, because 
we lack the vision of what this eternal life is that God's offering, when we start appreciating what it is that God's calling us to, it changes us, it, it, it empowers us to live differently in the here and now. I can let go of things that I wasn't, wasn't able to let go of before I knew what God is calling me to. And, uh, you know, he frees us from all the stuff we're stuck to. And, uh, and so we have that. And, uh, and so what I want us to do is increase our level of excitement today about eternal life. And how excited are you about eternal life? So I'd like for you to do a little self-evaluation this morning around this question. How excited are you about eternal life through Jesus? And I'd like you to use a simple scale. You don't need to write this down or anything or share it with anyone. Do it in your own heart, your own heart and mind. And it's a scale at the center is zero. And you can go down, negative one, two, and three, but you can go up, positive one, positive two, positive three. And, and so this is what it looks like. If you're at a, pos, a plus three, you're thrilled out of your socks about eternal life. You're just like, you can't wait to die. <laughs> I mean, you're just like, bring it on, I can't wait. Every morning you're waking up, Jesus, please take me home. You know, and there's people who have that kind of excitement. They don't, there's nothing in this world that thrills them. They're just ready to go. Bring it on. And Paul was this way. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, 24, Paul says, For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. If I'm to go on living the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And you get to that point in your Christian life where you're just here because you're on assignment. This is a job. You're, you're, you're in military, you're overseas, and you're doing your job. You can't wait to get back home. And it's not here. And you have that excitement. That's what plus three people do. And I wish we could all be plus three, but most of us are. And so we wrestle with this whole issue. We're not quite that excited. And uh, how many have heard of the serenity prayer? Okay, most of you probably, you know, there's the full serenity prayer. And I love the way the full serenity prayer ends. And this is what Reinhold Niebuhr says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway of peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he'll make all things right if I surrender to his will. That's life. That's how we live life in the here and now. But then he goes on and says that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. You see, in this life, we can only expect to be reasonably happy. We're not going to, the, the supreme, ultimate, catch the brass ring happiness comes when we cross over on the other side. God will never give us the full meal deal while we're here because that's not about what we experience here. He's always going to you know, challenge us to this greater happiness. And when I realize it's coming, it changes the way I can live here and now. And now most of us are probably at a plus one or plus two. You know? And so there's a little bit of room. We could be a little more excited, you know, get a little more vision. Now, if you're right at zero, when you think about eternal life, you go, meh. You know, it's... It, you're ambivalent. It's kind of like getting a tie or a scar for Christmas. You know, it's nice, but let's get on to the good stuff. You know, I, there's, you know it's like, uh, you know, that's cool. Uh, you think of eternal life, it's kind of nice. What games are on this afternoon? You know, and uh, at a zero, you may appreciate the idea of eternal life, but you're really more excited about fill in the blank, a date, 
a promotion, more money, you know, uh, just, you know, whatever it is. I remember when Lisa and I, before we were married, this is the truth, you know, our, our, our wedding date was coming up, and I heard this message on, you know, Jesus returning. And I said, Jesus, I really want you to return, but could you wait till after we get married? I, I was, I, that, that thought was in my head. I really, and so we get stuck in this. We get stuck in this. Having kids, having grandkids, going on a vacation, chocolate, chocolate cake, pizza, you know, the list goes on. And we have this thing. And see, that what happens is we worry about these things of whether they're going to be in heaven or not. Chocolate. Is there going to be chocolate in heaven? Really good chocolate. Really good chocolate. You know, <laughs> fishing. You know, how many? Yeah, there's going to be really good fishing in heaven. Really? What if there isn't? What if there isn't chocolate in heaven? Oh, man. Angel food cake. Angel food cake. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, and, and chocolate is devil's food, right? And so it's like, okay, that goes both ways. No. Golf courses. And we go, I don't know if I could enjoy heaven if my favorite thing isn't there. I, it, okay, let's just take chocolate. If chocolate's your thing, I can guarantee you that when you get to heaven, if you can't live without chocolate, you may get to heaven, but I can almost guarantee you that where the place you're at in heaven, there won't be chocolate. The rest of us will get to enjoy it because you have to have it so much, God's going to have to teach you there's better things. Because it's not about chocolate. It's not about golf. It's not about fishing. It's not about all the other things that we think are so important here and now. When you get a vision for what eternal life is, the things of this earth, you know, become less important. They're still good, and I'll talk about that in a second. But they're not as important, and they don't enslave me. And so, you know, we have that. Now, the other thing is we can go the other direction on this scale, okay? And so if, if, you're, you know, if you're down, you, you could be a negative two or a negative one or two. You might not passionately hate God or anything, but people who are there, you know, they don't like all this religious Christian stuff because it's just, you know, it almost takes away your fun. And that's kind of where people are at. You're like, eternal life? That sounds kind of boring. We don't really want that. And then if you're down at a negative three, you're actually terrified of the idea of eternal life. At this point, the good news of Jesus Christ is actually bad news. And there's some out there who hate God, hate the church, hate the Bible, hate Christians, hate Jesus. And this is because the eternal life that God offers is not just eternal existence. It's an eternal life of God caring for you and being in control of your life. And that's just not acceptable to some people. It's like the old saying of John Milton, it's better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. The life that Jesus offers is not the life that some people prefer. And so not many people want it, and they don't see it as good news. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Not everybody's thrilled about the idea of eternal life. It's not good news to everybody. Is it good news to you? Yes, thank you. Amen. And for some, the eternal life, you know, God is an outright nightmare. In, in Matthew 13, verse 49 and 50, Jesus says, this is how it'll be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I know that's a, that sounds like, oh man, that sounds kind of harsh. But before you feel too sorry for the wicked, I need you to understand what this phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, means in that day, in that culture, what it means. 
Because in that, in that time frame, the people who are weeping and gnashing of teeth, the gnashing of teeth especially indicates that they're angry. They're mad. They're just white-hot angry. It's, a, it's an adult temper tantrum. Even in hell, okay, they're shaking their fist at God and going, how dare you try to run my life? Does that make sense? That's what it means. They're not down there just suffering. No, they're mad at God, and that's part of their torment. They, they're not in charge, and, and, and that's, what, that's the alternative that we're looking at in this, this thing. That point of view, even if they were able to be transported into heaven, it would be hell to them because heaven, eternal life, is a place where we live under God's order and rule, and that's what I want. But sometimes, just like children, our will doesn't correspond to the Father's. And we've come in, and you know, how many parents have had that fight with your kids? And you've had to put them in solitary confinement for a little bit because you want the rest of the family to have a little peace. And so the rest of the family's enjoying ice cream and having a good time, but this one kid is just, nah, I'm not going to have it. That, it. We take that into our adult relationship with God, and that's what this is. Again, it's better to reign in hell than serve in heaven for some people. And this brings up an interesting difference between the Gospel of John and the other three Gospels. And this is fascinating to me. So John speaks of eternal life all the time. Okay? But in the other Gospels, you, don't hear, you hear the word eternal life once in a while, but their focus is on another term called the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God this, kingdom of God that. And, uh, and for instance, in Matthew... Uh, Mark, Luke, and John. In Matthew, eternal life is mentioned about three times. In Mark, the, the eternal life is mentioned two times. In Luke, three times. In John, eternal life is mentioned 16 times. It's about eternal life for God. On the other hand, what we find in the other Gospels is this kingdom of God talk. John only mentions the kingdom of God twice. Luke mentions the kingdom of God over 30 times. Okay? And what, we, what, we, and what the scholars and students, and what I, I agree with them, what we find is, in John's mind... Eternal life is the same as the kingdom of God. It's the same thing. The kingdom of God is, it's, so it's not just eternal existence. It's, it's eternal life where we're living in the care of God's kingdom. And that is a really nice kingdom to be a part of. But not everybody wants it. Not everybody wants to live under God's rule and God's will. And so whatever eternal life is, you know, it's good news because God's in charge. And uh, uh, in the end... See, I like C.S. Lewis's quote. In the end, there will be two groups of people. There will be those who say to God, thy will be done. And there will be those who God says to them, okay, have it your own way. And that really describes it quite well. And so, why is living under God's rule good news? Why is that better? Why is that something we should you know, want? And as I was thinking about the question, I, I, I was reminded of this passage in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. And, I, and I'm, so I, I decided I'll share this with you to give you a vision of what eternal life is. And it says, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He, freely given us, which he has freely given us in the one He loves. And you see, the eternal existence, this eternal life that God has called us to, it's in accordance with God's pleasure. God's pleasure. And I, let me suggest to you that the highest and fullest pleasure you can possibly experience 
is God's pleasure. And when I try to seek my own pleasure, my own way, it never turns out well. You know, I've lived long enough to learn that. But I have learned that God's pleasure, man, that can thrill the socks off you. Because it doesn't get old. It only keeps getting better and better and better. I like this eternal life stuff because it's in that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should you know, believe in him should not perish but have this life of enjoying God and his will forever and ever and ever. And that life is really, really, really good. Yeah, but what about chocolate cake? What, let's, what about the chocolate? How many of you have heard me talk about chocolate cake? You're tired of me hearing about my, you know, my cravings for pizza and chocolate cake. And Yeah, I love chocolate cake. I love chocolate. You know, is there going to be chocolate in heaven? And i got to tell you, you know, how am I going to get you excited about eternal life more than chocolate cake? And uh, first off, let me point out this about chocolate cake. You can tell me how good chocolate cake is. But I won't ever know, I never did know, how good chocolate cake is until I tasted it. No, I, I enjoy chocolate cake not because someone told me it was good. I tasted it. And once I tasted it, I like chocolate cake. Here's, the, here's, here's my dilemma. I can tell you how good eternal life is. But the only way you're going to really appreciate it is if you taste it. And I can't do that for you. I can't do that for you. Now, i got to tell you something else about this chocolate cake thing. And uh, <laughs> by the way, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, like newborn babes, Crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Once you get a taste, you want more and you grow. It drives us. It's, a, it's like, i got to have more of that stuff. Okay. Now, back to chocolate cake because there's more to this. There's more to this. It's only because of Jesus that I can truly enjoy chocolate cake. If I didn't have God, if I didn't have Jesus in my life... Chocolate cake would not be enjoyable because I'd be enslaved to it. And I'd eat more and more chocolate cake and different kinds. I mean, I'd be going down in the chocolate cake gutter. I'd be down you know, on the streets begging for chocolate cake. I'd be the guy on the side of the road. Don't, I don't want money. I want chocolate cake. <laughs> and that applies to everything in the world that we look to for pleasure. I mean, you can talk about chocolate cake, you can talk about... What are you attached to, my friends? What's more important to you than eternal life? Money, sex, TV, entertainment, sports, fishing, golf. Everything in creation can enslave us. But when I have God in my life, you know what's really cool? Because he's number one, my my first and foremost pleasure... I get to enjoy everything else because he's number one. I had an interesting experience this week. I can't go into details, but uh, I found myself at a five-star luxury resort in Hawaii on the beach. All, all expenses paid. Didn't ha- it, it was like, you know, I could charge whatever I wanted. 
to the room, my room. It's like, and I, you're like, how do you get into that? It's just how, I, you can talk to me, I'll tell you a little bit more about it. It was amazing. I've never been in that kind of affluent situation. And I got to tell you, I sat there, and it was empty for me. I mean, I had access to, the, they had the spa you could not believe. I mean, they had things in that spa, like, gosh, that's kind of cool. And, and, of course, you had the ocean. They had pools. They had so many. I lost count of the pools. And the trails and, you know, room service. And it's just like, wow. And I got to tell you, I sat there, and I had my prayer time. And I'm like, man, this is just empty. And you watch people, and you go, man, do they know what I know? How many of these people are so lost trying to fill up their life with stuff that is not going to matter? Because there comes a time the vacation ends, my friends. We're not getting out of here alive. And where are you at? What is on the other side? And what I came to realize is that, again, my pleasure is God's pleasure. And I sat there and looked at, you know, and I was able to plug into that. I was able to, like, have some really great God time and look at the ocean. And, you know, it was, just, it was positive but because God was there that I was able to squeak out some enjoyment from that environment. And see, my greatest pleasure, our greatest pleasure, your greatest pleasure will be when your pleasure aligns with his pleasure. And I, and I agree with C.S. Lewis, because this is what happens to us. This is what he says. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. So where are you at on the scale today? Hopefully you're somewhere between one and positive one and positive three. And so why am I challenging you? Why is this important? Because I know the more you are excited about there and then, the more your life will be transformed here and now. And the more you are excited about there and then and here and now, the more I know you'll be excited about sharing that with somebody else. And that is what we need to see happen here. Man, eternal life. You excited? I need to prove a little bit. But I got to tell you, after listening to my own sermon, I think I'm a little more excited. (laughs) How about you? Let's all be standing for a closing word of prayer.